August 10th, 1999, just over 20 years ago. A white supremacist gunman walked into a Los Angeles Jewish community center, fired 70 shots using a semi-automatic weapon, wounding three kids, a teenage counselor, and an office worker. Later that day, he randomly shot a mail carrier. It had only been four months since the Columbine High School massacre. Twelve students, one teacher, murdered. Every one of these victims had moms, moms whose lives were changed in an instant and forever. Millions of moms watched the news, and they felt this insanity, a summer of madness. But one of those moms watched the news, stood up, and made a plan. Why, you wonder? Probably lots of things. But at its heart, her kids went to a JCC camp, and it could have been one of her kids. But you know what? This person had something special. The same thing that nonprofit leaders come hardwired with. The Yiddish word is chutzpah. She stood up and got to work. And nine months later, thanks to her leadership, 750,000 moms gathered in the mall on Washington, tens of thousands in cities and towns across the country, a million moms calling for stricter gun control. Today, I want to talk about chutzpah. Leo Rostin in The Joys of Yiddish defines chutzpah as gall, brazen nerve, effrontery, incredible guts, presumption plus arrogance such as no other word and no other language can do justice to. Yeah, that's it. Let's talk about that. What it looks like and how you build a movement with it. And we'll not just talk about today, but about now. Have we made progress? How do those who advocate for gun control maintain a sense of purpose and hope? It's time to talk to mom number one of the Million Mom March. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. Learn more at joangary.com. I'm a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Her 2004 memoir and guidebook called Looking for a Few Good Moms, How One Mom Rallied a Million Others Against the Gun Lobby, earned her the Chutzpah Award from Oprah. The book was also cited by The Atlantic in 2008 as one of the best books on female leadership. In 2015, her Daily Beast essay, How to Organize the Mother of All Protests, led to a nationwide grassroots effort the following year called The Concert Across America to End Gun Violence, in which she served as its co-chair. Also in 2016, Donna co-produced and co-directed the award-winning documentary Five Awake about the women of Louisiana who reformed the state's domestic violence laws by getting the NRA to stand down. Over the years, she's promoted gun violence prevention and grassroots activism in hundreds of media outlets, including Meet the Press, Face the Nation, GMA, The Today Show, and the NBC Nightly News. In addition to her activism, Donna has spent most of her professional career in New York City at the CBS Network on its communications team. She has represented numerous high-profile talent, including Dan Rather, David Letterman, and Bob Schieffer. I'm also joined by Sheika Hamilton. Sheika is currently the National Organizing and Chapter Development Manager for the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence. She's been working on the issue of gun violence prevention since the year 2000, when while living in Detroit at the time, she helped organize the Million Mom March, the largest protest against gun violence in the U.S. history until 2018 in the March for Our Lives. She's worked on this issue every day since then and has held various roles from chapter leader to state chapter president to the first elected Million Mom March leader elected to the Brady Campaign Board of Trustees to the national spokesperson for the Million Mom March rally to renew the assault's weapon ban. She has also appeared on CNN, MSNBC, and a host of media outlets. Sheika is a licensed attorney in California and Michigan. Her boots are on the ground, and she has worked for decades to pass gun control legislation in her home state. Worth noting all of those credentials. Welcome to both of you, Donna and Sheika. Thank you for having us, Joan. Thank you, Joan. So we've all sat in front of TV news and seen the horrors of gun violence. 
we can rattle off the names. Columbine, Sandy Hook, Oklahoma City, Pulse, Las Vegas. And those literally just came off the top of my head in a hot second. Some of us gasp, cry, others write checks. Many don't do much of anything. I'd really like to hear what you believe it takes to get off the couch and do something. Can I start with Donna and then Sheikah? That'd be great. Well, I didn't really have chutzpah right off the bat. It took me about a week to actually call Capitol Hill Police to get an application to march on Washington. I first tried to volunteer uh, for one of the many noble and fabulous uh, gun violence prevention nonprofits that already existed. But what I didn't realize at the time that uh, they get death threats constantly, they get harassing phone calls. And so there are a lot of barriers. It's very hard to reach or back then, you know, one of these nonprofits. So I tried for about a week to volunteer and I got very frustrated. I'm like, okay, here's a problem. I know there must be lots of people just like me who want to volunteer and they have nowhere to go. So I did what I think a lot of women do. I picked up the phone and I called my women friends and I said, I've applied for a permit to march on Washington and I need all of your help. <laughs> and uh, that's, that's so again, it was about a seven day process from being outraged by that shooting to actually applying for the permit. Um, so I, I, I want to put a pin in and come mm -hmm. back to something you said that I want my listeners to really attend to, which is that Donna tried to reach out to nonprofit organizations saying, hey, I'm here, I'm outraged, and I'm available, and I want to help. And I'm not sure that Donna is the only person that has had an experience like that. Sheikah, what did it take for you to say, I've had enough, I want to do something about this? Well, I, I, I feel like it's a buildup. Um, I grew up in California where there were a lot of shootings right. um, back in the 80s and early 90s. And I didn't do anything about I, I, the Stockton schoolyard shooting. There was a law firm shooting right across from where I worked. I didn't do anything. I was a young mom holding my baby when Columbine happened. I didn't do anything. But then that mother instinct kicked in when I saw a little blip on the news saying a million moms are marching in D.C. I called up my friend who worked for my congresswoman and said, what are you going to do about it? And then I went to the Million Mom March website. And this is the key thing. I went there. It was very simple. It said the problem and the solutions and how to get involved. I emailed the person. I It just said email. I emailed. And we, I don't know, maybe in an hour, I got a response. And I, uh, they asked me to come to a meeting. I mean, it was like that. I was in. Right. That fast. And, and, and it is true that, right, when your pilot light has been ignited about something and you, and you raise your hand, right, the, the pilot light can go out awfully quickly if there isn't that kind of rapid response, right? right. And I and um, I, I happen to know uh, I, I happen to know the guy who who built that website, uh, and uh, he has been doing my digital marketing for a long time. And uh, I believe that Donna might have been a reference for Abstract Edge, which is the firm that um, that built that site. Um, and I uh, and I and I just want to say, uh, Scott has been my business partner for a long time now, and. Um, it was such a gift to someone who does digital marketing to be handed the opportunity to do that work for you. Um, and I know that to be true. So um, really, really interesting. And it, boy, doesn't it talk to the power of social media and how instrumental it is. I don't know, Donna, did you want to jump back in? I want to jump in. I know you wanted to ask me about the keys to success for the Miami March. And um, really for me, I was uh, in public relations. <clears throat> I was very well connected. And I also do a lot of favors for people. And I believe in favor reciprocity. 
And so I really started picking up the phone and, and, and calling back in those favors. I'm like, I'm doing this March on Washington. I need you to help me. I'm doing this March on Washington. I need you to help me. And I don't even know, cause like Betty Hudson, you know, she's very well known in media. And I don't really even know Betty Hudson that well. And she didn't owe me any favors, but I don't know how I got into her office. But she launched iVillage.com, which was like the first website for women. And she took the meeting and I came in, I pitched her, the, you know, we're going to do this march. I had one of the moms uh, who was a uh, school teacher and a PR person help write our mission statement, which was very good. And, and then Betty looked it over. And so I said, Betty, I need you to, to give us a website. And that's when Betty said, well, you know what? We really can't do that here, but we will be your corporate sponsor. We will make a donation as your corporate sponsor, and we will help find you a web designer. And that is how I got linked to Abstract Edge Web Solutions. And I, you know, if there's anything as serendipitous as that, because, you know, Joan, I talk a lot about how important women are to a movement, moms are to a movement. Boy, would you get the right two guys who had a good mom and how to work with women and Scott and Eric Paley. I mean, they, they totally got us who we were at the Million Mom March. And I told them what our challenges were. And they created a website that Newsweek applauded. Say it was one of the best websites, you know, for, for women's issues and this issue. So, yes. Um, Scott Paley from Edge, you know, Solutions, you know, a little shout out there to him. There you go. Um, Sheikha, did you want back yeah. in? Yeah, I want to jump back in because I was the person that knew nothing about guns. I didn't even know what the NRA was when somebody brought it up in my first meeting. I'm like, who is that? Wow. So that website for someone like me made it so simple to understand the issue that that's why I got it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, um, that's uh, pretty important, I think, for any nonprofit. I've taught for a number of years at the University of Pennsylvania at the Annenberg School, and I often bring Scott in to talk to my students uh, on nonprofit management and media advocacy and social change. I often bring Scott in as a guest lecturer to talk about um, how to get it right. Um, okay. So, enough Valentines for Mr. Paley. Um, <laughs> so, um, the other thing I heard in your comment, Donna, is the connections, right? And there's a, there's two things I heard. One uh, made me think about Malcolm Gladwell and the tipping point. Yes. And, uh, and he talks about three different kinds of people. And of course, I'm going to forget what the three are, but it's like mavens, mavens connectors, connectors, and... And what is the other one? Mavens, connectors. Uh, anyway, for... I don't, uh, okay. I'm, 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 I, maybe somebody can, maybe somebody can Mavis. Google it while we're, while we're, while we're, um, while we're uh, talking. Salespeople. Salespeople. I don't think Mavis. that's it. Yes, it is. Mavens, connectors, and salespeople. Well, you, I quote it all the time. You, I just got a little frozen there for a moment. You are a connector, right? And I'm, it I'm also, a connector. and it also takes the, 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 the chutzpah part is, are you willing to make a cold call to someone you don't know? Right. And I, I mean, the, and what's the downside if they don't take your call? Not a whole lot. And there you can see with Betty Hudson, there's a hell of a lot of upside. So <clears throat> um, there's a business term for growth. It's called the hockey stick. You're growing. And then all of a sudden, you, your eyes get really wide and you think to yourself, oh, my gosh, this thing is actually going to take off. I wonder if there's a moment you remember when your eyes got wide like that and you thought, oh, this is totally going to take off. Uh, let's start with Donna. I remember exactly the moment. First of all, it was probably a couple of months after I launched the Million Mom March. Uh, we were already a media sensation. I had no doubt about that. Moms marching on Washington. It was really created as a media gimmick to call attention to the issue and recruit people like me who wanted to volunteer for the movement. Um, so we were already in the New York Times. We were uh, on um, the morning shows. We were on CNN. We were we were a media hit. But if you don't have real people in 435 congressional districts to do the, the real legwork, you're really not a movement. The moment I knew we were a movement was when Michigan took off. Uh, Michigan has, you know, it's a very tough state. I think you realized recently with the anti-maskers and the, and the militias and the death threats against the governors, it's very difficult to do gun violence prevention in Michigan. But sure enough, I uh, get a clipping from the 
Detroit Free Press. And I read about a woman I had never heard of. Her name was Lori. And she coincidentally worked in an army munitions plant. And she had created the state office for the Michigan Mayhem March at a payphone, payphone outside of a ladies' room outside of her office. And she she called like her senators or congressmen constantly and saying, you've got to get on board with us or we're going to vote you out. And ultimately she called the then U.S. Senator Spencer Abraham, Abraham of Michigan and said, you got to you got to do something about the guns and the kids and the gun show loophole or we're going to vote you out of office. And um, she got what happened with that. And we voted him out of office because he didn't do anything. Um, but also in Michigan, I will never forget. If you stab it, I'm sorry to mean to talk. Yeah, go you. ahead. No, go ahead about that. You know, in addition to uh, voting him out, Debbie Stabenow has been now in, in the U.S. Senate for 20 years. So so I think that moment for me for the hockey stick, when I knew it, when, when suddenly you have a state office in Michigan at a payphone outside of a ladies' room, that right. to me is success. Totally. Anything you wanted to add, Sheika? Well, and for me, the, the moment happened... Um, only a few weeks after I joined the Million Mom March and I was doing nothing but like just being there because I knew nothing about guns. But a six-year-old was murdered by another six-year-old in Mount Morris, Michigan. Um, And I was a mom of a one-year-old and I never knew that the children could pull the trigger of a gun. I always thought up until then it was adults. And so that night I was so upset, I called the largest Detroit radio station and said, if you want to do something, call me. And I gave out my phone number and and my email. And that night I was flooded with calls and emails. And that was February. That did not end until Mother's Day. And it actually continued beyond Mother's Day, but it was nonstop. Um, both of you are talking about something that's so important. I want to I want to highlight it so we don't lose it, which is the power the media has to amplify your message. Um, <clears throat> and I I love what you said, Donna, that the march was an event. Right. But I think what you said and that's so funny, you use the word gimmick. Right. And um, uh, I often thought, you know, having been an LGBT activist and run an LGBT organization for a decade, that I had my moments of standing outside a building with a bullhorn on some sort of platform. And I didn't imagine that I was the kind of, honestly, I didn't imagine myself doing that. and once you really care about something, it's it's amazing what you're, you know, how you stretch. But I also saw it as you saw the Million Mom March. I used to say that protests were just outdoor press conferences. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and, yeah. right. Yeah, and you, as long as you get a decent sized crowd, you're fine. I mean, a million people, you know, 750,000 people is more than a decent crowd. But I, but I do want the connections you make as a nonprofit organization, the, the relationships you cultivate with the media in your community are golden, right? And the, 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 we've lived in a world for so long where all journalists get is some sort of a press release about your upcoming gala, and they don't care. So um, just keep listening as this story unfolds. I think there are so many nice nuggets of treasure in here. Um, so success is, is an interesting term, right? So you can measure by volume alone, this, is a, this was a complete grand slam. But you yourself, Donna, just called it sort of a means to an end, right? That the impact of the gathering is measured by what happens after. So when you think about um, the success of the march beyond the numbers of people who participated that day, um, how do you characterize it? Chica, why don't we start with you? Mm-hmm. Um, well, six months right out the gate, we booted out Spence Abraham in Michigan and several other 
congressional um, representatives um, were out of Congress. And then in Michigan, we passed a referendum, um, which was later uh, taken down by the the conservative court. But I mean, in Michigan, we had 300,000 people sign a referendum that never happens in Michigan. So, um, but in Oregon and Colorado, they actually passed two state state referendums in each state. Um, And quite frankly, that year, we helped Al Gore get the popular vote. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was the year. Um, What happened to Al Gore later was a different story. And then in that time also in California, we went from a state that had tremendous numbers of gun deaths. And now in 2020, because of the work we've been doing since then, we have reduced gun death by 55%. And to me, that's a solid win. And, and and something we we don't hear enough about, right? Because right. that's 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 the statistic that ignites hope in people, right? It's we haunting. we see the incidents, but we don't we don't see the you know the, the incidents get covered by the press, but the trends or the percentage mm-hmm. decrease not so much. Um, right? They're really. Um, because that's, people that's only such an accomplishment. Attention. That's such yeah. an accomplishment, really. Um, uh, Donna, did you want to do you want to weigh in on that one? Success um, metrics afterwards. And and this was uh, you know what determined to be a success after the march. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it was um, laying the groundwork for grassroots. I had a goal of trying to recruit at least five moms in 435 congressional districts. I see. And uh, because they really didn't have a a solid grassroots base in 1999 and 2000. Um, There were serious activists who had gotten things done here and there, but there had never been a nationally based, a chapter-based organization. And so we got up to maybe 236, 237 chapters going uh, right after the march. And many of those folks went on to to pass incredible state legislation or stop really bad legislation in their state houses. And quite a few actually went and ran for Congress. And over the years, we've had quite a few people win office and, uh, and they harken back to their days of the Million Mom March and learning how to organize. But to me, that we laid the groundwork for a grassroots base in this country was, is my metrics. Um, I, and I, uh, they're fantastic metrics, right? Is that, is you um, gave people an opportunity to get off the couch and you empowered them to recognize that they had agency. And mm-hmm. then you directed them and gave them, you invited them to use that agency um, wherever, you know, when they went home. Um, exactly. and, I, and I just, I, I think that's, it's so important. The notion that I, I often talk about people equals power. And when I, you know, when I talk with nonprofit leaders and we talk about how do you grow your sphere of influence, it's not just about growing your donor base. It's about growing your volunteer base. It's about growing the number of journalists who know about you, that that's power. That's power doesn't come. Power comes from it, from the people who know your know your work and want to be a part of it. Um, we're having a very interesting conversation with Donna Dees Thomas, the founder of the Million Mom March. Um, she is uh, uh, a force of nature, uh, has been uh, sort of a nationally recognized leader, an activist's activist, as Glamour magazine described her, uh, and also has a professional background in communications with um, with CBS. I'm also here with Sheikah Hamilton, who's the National Organizing and Chapter Development Manager for the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence, who did not even know what the 
the initials NRA stood for at the time she went to the Million Mom website. So we could actually just say Sheikha Hamilton is an example of how you measure success after the Million Mom March. Um, uh, and I was, you know, I, I'm intrigued about, uh, I was intrigued about this as a topic, obviously, for the the topic itself, but really marches as vehicles and marches as igniting movements. And um, um, Don, I want to ask you this question. Um, let's talk about moms. Um, uh, all three of us are moms, and there is a is the word ferocity. Uh, there's a ferocity about moms. But you were once quoted saying, you need moms to have a movement. Tell me about that. Particularly in the gun violence prevention movement, you need mothers, um, mainly because uh, you, you constantly have to organize in this movement. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you can burn you can burn people out very quickly. And for the Million Mom March, we organized on playgrounds while we took our kids to play. We organized at play dates. We organized at the pediatrician's office. And we were just natural organizers by the very fact that we were moms and not all stay-at-home moms and not all professional moms. We were mixed. I mean, I, I worked part-time for the late show with David Letterman. So when I would recruit on the playground on, you know, Wednesday and Thursday, and then on Monday and Tuesday and Friday, I recruited in the green room at the late show with David Letterman and usually <laughs> the women. Uh, I remember I used to stick uh, our little postcards in the makeup rooms. And sure enough, some, some mom celebrity would call and say, what is this all about? Uh, and and this, isn't, this is to say nothing about dads, because particularly in this movement, we have some phenomenal dads right. who really stand up to the gun violence uh, issue in a way that's very powerful. Um, I, I really should name the like uh, Andy Goddard, whose son was injured at Virginia Tech, uh, has been, you know, with the movement since Virginia Tech, um, you know, Andy Parker, whose daughter was killed. She was a reporter, uh, killed on live television, CBS affiliate. Uh, we have so many deaths, particularly out of Parkland. Um, I really should, uh, oh, uh, Mauser, you know, um, whose uh, son, Daniel Mauser, uh, Tom Mauser, Daniel Mauser, uh, who was killed at Columbine. These are really phenomenal dads. They're not really great organizers, though. They're amazing um, uh, spokespeople for the movement. Um, and they're very knowledgeable about policy. Mm-hmm. And I, I love talking to them and inspired by them, but they're not organized in the same way moms do. So again, uh, is that, that yes. part of that is about how the, it, it, you, you actually described gatherings, yes, right? Is that, that moms gather. Yes. Um, moms gather in a pretty unique way. Yeah. That's interesting. So interesting. You know, it's interesting too. And we used to laugh about this, you know, you know, you know, five women go to the ladies room together. And, you know, I think <laughs> a lot of that, I mean, we go, cause you want to chit chat and, gossip a little bit whatever or share a little lipstick but you also as a safety measure i think yeah. women um get together in, in groups to be safe hmm. and i think for the gun violence prevention issue we do get a lot of death threats we did do a lot of harassment so for this issue i think it was particularly important that women organize together that we feel safe around each other and i think that was that's been very important interesting i also feel like moms are doers there's no time for, um, you know, just compartmentalizing or having <laughs> organizing that this is what we're going to do. We do it. Yeah, um, so. It's just an instinct, I think, because we we can multitask and we can. Do I don't think I was a multitasker before I had my children. <laughs> you know, that's so I, that's why. Yeah, As a very, single person, I couldn't do all of this. Yeah. Very and, you know, I would have to say not just moms, but women. I mean, okay, so for at least 20 years, I've been in this space, but I also get involved with other issues. Women always lead. Women are always in it. And I like I did some work at the detention center in Texas. And one of the staff people there told me it's always the women that show up to help. Yeah. Um, I run a um, membership site for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits um, called the Nonprofit Leadership Lab. And uh, disproportionately, the nonprofit leaders from 
uh, the U.S., North America, you know, Canada, uh, around the world, <clears throat> English-speaking countries, we have disproportionately have women leaders. Now, there's also there's also an issue about equity that comes into play there, which is a probably a topic for another podcast episode. But uh, so very very interesting. Um, <clears throat> during COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my book, Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is now in paperback and you can learn more at book.joangary.com. As the founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, the best online resource for board and staff leaders of small nonprofits, I have the privilege of hearing the stories of the remarkable work being done every single day by an amazing group of kind and generous leaders around the globe. I want you to hear their stories too, uplifting and inspiring. Now there's something we could use a whole lot more of, right? And that's why I want to introduce you to the Leadership Lab's own podcast, Your Nonprofit Life. In each episode, our lab's director of member experience, Laura Zelke, interviews a leader of a small nonprofit, offering you the opportunity to hear about their unique path into the sector, learn about the important work they're doing, and be inspired by their passion and determination to change the world in ways large and small. Sample this dose of hope at yournonprofitlife.com, or you can find it on your favorite podcast app. Okay, so um, are there things you would have done differently? And I believe that's code for, um, did you make any mistakes? Donna, you want to grab that one? Oh, Joan, I made so many mistakes. <laughs> uh, I think that's why I wrote the book in 2004, the guidebook, so I could list most of them because I really wanted to, we sh people should learn from yes. my mistakes. And there was no guidebook when I started. You know, there right. were books on leadership, but there, and there were books on gun violence prevention policy, but there was no, no book that said, this is how you get to hear from here to there when you're organizing on this issue. So I hope that that guidebook has served others well. But the, I'm so glad to be speaking to you about this because I think you understand. And I, I didn't have this in the book. And I tried, when I'm always asked that question, what's the, what's the biggest mistake you think you made after the march? And four days after the march, uh, the Million Mom March merged with another nonprofit called the Bell Campaign. Ah. And the Bell Campaign was a fabulous nonprofit. They, uh, some of them had helped uh, with the successes of Mothers Against Drunk Driving. They had the keys to success for organizing beyond the march. But the mistake we did with the merger, they decided to drop their name, the Bell Campaign, and became the Million Mom March. And we were two different cultures. Our DNA was different. The Bell Campaign DNA was different than the Million Mom March DNA. And, and I try to explain this in other settings, but people who do not understand the difference between 501c3 and 501c4. Right. And had the Bell campaign kept its name, it would still be a thriving 501c3 today. I and see. if we had if we had been the 501c4, we would have been the ones more on the lines with the advocacy. But trying to mix the two, uh, it was I can't even explain. Suddenly you have this force of nature with these mothers trying to get things done very quickly. And then you had very responsible, methodical people saying, wait, you can't do that with a C3. You can't do that with C4. But I think if we had just kept our names in our own cultures, we could have coexisted as a great merger moving forward. But we end up collapsing financially. We were too big. Yeah. And we had we did not have the infrastructure for what they had in place. And then ultimately that led to our merge with the Brady organization. Um, so I, you know, I, I guess I'm not sure that I would, <clears throat> would I actually qualify it as a mistake? Um, I, you, I'll, I'll let you qualify it. I'll, I'll let you characterize it as you see fit, but I will tell you that um, a model of a terrific merger is hard to find for exactly the reasons that you describe, is often they're not really mergers, they're actually acquisitions. There's a stronger player and a weaker player. 
uh, often there is uh, ego involved in terms of board members and CEOs, depending on the size. So there are many things that thwart the potential success of a merger. And I, I find that sad. And as we move into 2021, it's something I think a lot about in terms of the nonprofit sector and um, what needs to be different when we get when we get to the other side of the pandemic, that I do think that there um, there are opportunities for mergers in the sector that may be thwarted because they are not done well or they are the the reason to come together is actually not something where everybody's on the same page that the whole would be greater than the sum of the parts. Um, so anyway, I just want to let you off the hook a little bit and just say um, that even if it had been an ideal marriage, they're hard to pull off well. Um, you know, I would yeah. have to say, though, you know, the, you know, the, the best advice people get after the loss of a loved one or a major life event is wait a year before making a major decision. Yeah. Because you're not in the right space. And um, I made that decision to merge four days after the march. Ooh. And the name change happened when I was in the middle of lobbying for the childproof handgun bill in yeah. New Jersey and Trenton. And so I think if we had taken that one year, um, I think it would have been a better merger because they really, these, I think those folks in the Bell campaign put together the chapter structure that still survives today. With the, Brady, the Brady organization. So it wasn't all a disaster. And again, I, I don't know if we would even exist in the same way had we had not had that partnership. But no, I think we should have taken that year before we had finalized anything. And then I think it had been a, you know, but that's a hindsight. Well, um, also, I mean, let's also remember you're hardwired as a journalist, right? You're hardwired as like, move, let's go, let's go, let's go, right? And that's what made you most excellent at mobilizing, you know, all of these people to do this thing, right? A sustainable organization over a period of time often requires a very different kind of gestalt in somebody. And it, it's possible that that, 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 that you know, it's sort of like when I was at MTV, The I was there for the launch of MTV in 1981, and the founder of MTV and the person who ended up being seen as the the, you know, the person most responsible are two different people. And the mm -hmm. founder of MTV was very much a entrepreneur. And the, uh, you know, the ultimate CEO was somebody who could build and grow a business. And, the, and it's important to know what you're good at and to just do that. Right. Um, so, um, so just a, a few other questions before we um, before the clock runs out on us. Um, uh, clearly, Sheikha, you have stayed in the game since the march by virtue of just reading your bio. Um, let's start with you. What are you what are you proud of in the past 20 years since the Million Mom March in terms of your own accomplishments? And let's then let's go to, to Donna. Oh, my gosh. So many. Well, because I started in this movement in Detroit and. Um, at that time, Detroit had one of the highest gun death rates for children. And so during that time, what I always remember most is when we were the loudest, gun deaths were going down. And the more we stayed active, gun deaths would go down. And when we, when it would get quiet or it would go up. So it was keeping that the the message out there um, was really critical. And I mean, we even got the, the Detroit Free Press and Detroit News to close the newspaper loophole, which was they used to sell guns in the paper wow. um, and they stopped that. Um, but beyond that, I mean, in Michigan, we used to stop, stop bad gun bills. I mean, we stopped the stand your the infamous stand your ground bill back right. in, I think it was 2005, 2006. I mean, that was a battle. And then later in the middle of the night, a couple of years later, they passed it. That's how the Republican legislature worked at Michigan. But it, beyond that, I mean, we've had, we have current million mom marchers in Congress. Right. Um, Madeline Dean, Mary Gay Scanlon, Debbie Dingell, Marie Newman of Illinois, 
Um, and in state houses across the country, in, in Virginia, we have the first female speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates, Eileen Filler Corn. Um, but last but not least, I would say Chris Brown, the president of Brady, the first female president of Brady is Amelia Montmarcher. Um, and she worked on the Brady Bill when she was younger. Um, so, and in California, I already told you, I mean, we have passed enormous amount of gun safety legislation that has, has real results of reducing gun deaths. So there's a lot to be proud of, I think, in over the years. Um, and we have activists that are still in it, like Lori that Donna mentioned from the munitions plant. She's still in it. Right. Um, and the mothers from that Jewish community center shooting that Donna mentioned, they're still in it. Right. Um, so Donna created to me and Donna never takes credit for anything, but she created many of the activists from that time that are still in it say she gave us all a voice. Yep. And that's how I feel too. I mean, it's like, well, why would I have gotten involved in gun violence prevention? Nobody in my family ever owned a gun. I mean, I had no, I, no connection to the issue. Right. She gave me that voice. Yeah. Um, uh, that's a lot to be proud of. And I, the, the image that comes to my mind as I think about the Million Mom March and it feels like we sell it short, call it a gimmick there, Donna, but I think of it as a big pebble you threw into a pond and what Chica just described were the, um, enormous, the, the, is the enormous ripple effect that it had. Um, what would, I want to ask the same question to you is what are you proud of in these past 20 years since Donna? You know, um, my background in communications media is public relations, and I'm I'm, right. so I'm I'm most comfortable promoting someone else. But for most of my career, I've been paid to promote men. I get paid to promote the guys, all the well-deserving people, Dan Rather, Letterman, Schieffer, all people I was very proud to work for. Yep. But my volunteer pro bono work is to promote women in this movement. And I'm just so proud. I'm so proud of Sheikah, what she's accomplished. Um, she is like a, the dean of the chapters. People, uh, everyone goes to Sheik if they have a question about, you know, grassroots in, in the movement. Uh, when Eileen Fillercorn was named the first female speaker of the Virginia House of Delegates, I uh, had so many people because, you know, she started with the Million Mom March. And so every time I hear about um, someone who has run for office, and some, sometimes when they don't win, who cares? They had the courage to, to, to run. I'm very proud about that. And um, I don't know. I um, I see so many accomplishments. I know a lot of organizations that exist now, sometimes their mothers were involved in the Million Mom March. Yep. Um, I don't know. Just yeah. I'm proud you of, of you, what uh, these women have accomplished. Yeah. Um, you've, uh, you unlocked something in people that... Uh, has has fed them and fueled them. And I mean, you know, I can just listen in Sheikah's voice that um, you feel, you you know, to, to live a life of meaning and purpose, sometimes someone has to invite you and um, uh, you threw a hell of a party. Um, um, so, um, so it's, it's, it's tough to think about, gun violence and that how much it still grips the country. Um, no doubt that we've got some listeners who are in the trenches with boots on the ground on gun safety issues. Um, and so, um, what, what message do you have? And I'll start with Sheikha and then we'll end with Donna. Um, what message do you have for folks who are, whose boots are on the ground, uh, on the, on the issue of gun violence and, uh, you know, what, what gives you, what gives you hope? Um, staying in the game. I right. mean, you can't look for instant gratification. Look at California, the 20 years that it took to reduce gun death. Look at Virginia, Virginia for 20 years, they couldn't do anything, but li little by little, they ended up voting in um, gun safety candidates into office and right out the gate, they passed seven gun safety bills. I mean, that that's 
talking about staying in the game and just keeping at it. I mean, we have volunteers there too that have been doing this for 20 years. Um, so it's not looking for the instant gratification. It's looking at the long-term game. And secondly, I would say paying attention to your volunteers. If, if your nonprofit has volunteers, I think what we did, Brady started out with no chapters, no volunteers, right? Right. And then Million Mom March was, were the ground game, right? The right. boots on the, the ground. Fear. And be, because Brady was a DC organization, it used to be that they, you know, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. But slowly over time, Brady also learned that, wow, our volunteers are pretty sharp. They know what's going on in their communities and states. We need to listen to them. And so now Brady has actually flipped into an organization that asks their volunteers, what do you want to do in your state? What do you want to do in your community? And it's because of the volunteers that Brady was one of the first national organizations that backed the assault weapons ban. I mean, that that is, you know, uh, evolution. So... Um, uh, to me, those two things are most important if for a nonprofit. Yep. I'll give you the last word, Donna. What gives you hope? It gives me hope. Um, I think I, I'm constantly inspired by people who volunteer, um, but particularly the leaders that emerge from the March for Our Lives. They stepped up immediately. These were young people, 16, 17, 18 years old. I want to cry even just talking about them. Um, I'm so proud of the leaders in the nonprofit world that, you know, it's, it's lead, follow, or get out the way. A lot yeah. of the leaders in the space of gun violence prevention, some of them just literally got out the way to help these, just let the kids lead. Some, yeah. of, some of the young people needed help and they got the help. Um, and I think, I think the movement has always been diverse, but I think the young leaders have really made an effort to make sure that we spotlight the diversity in the movement. And uh, I think they've shamed us a little bit into it. There's, there's always been black women and women of color who've done the heavy lifting on this issue. But I think particularly with March for Our Lives, um, I'm, just, I'm just so proud of who they are. And I think the movement has hope because... They have arrived. Uh, I, right. I I hurt for how they had to get here through, yes. through the shooting at Parkland, but they're here and they're they're in for a long the long game the long the long you know road. Yeah, what's the analogy um, I'm looking for there? <laughs> um, no, it's, it's the long um, haul. <laughs> the long haul. Well, yeah. I mean, right. And I I I think the the you know there's a big couple big takeaways here as we close out. Um, one is uh, if you um, if you feel an urge to well I'm you know I'm speaking to the choir here talking to nonprofit leaders but you know if you if you get a call or an email from somebody who says you know I've been sitting on the couch but I'd actually like to get up off the couch and help you grab them grab them and to Sheikah's point ask them how they want to be involved ask them what you know make sure their voice has agency. So that's one thing I definitely heard. I definitely heard that, um, you know, there are people who, there, the, the Million Mom March was 20 years ago. And what we've heard today is the story, not so much of the event, but that, that it was a tool, a vehicle. It was a means to an end to populate a movement that has found its way into state houses and to House of Representatives and has changed legislation at, at levels, you know, low and high. Um, and, um, and that it is actually fueling a new generation of leaders as well and who bring a different kind of worldview and a different kind of energy that will only uh, enhance the work, right? We'll all be richer for that diversity of perspective and age. Um, and that uh, uh, what all of you know far, uh, really, really well, I mean, I ran an LGBT organization or whatever it is that you advocate for, um, it's always a marathon, it's never a sprint. 
And um, you want a lot of people in your marathon, right? Because you want to ignite as many, you want to invite as many people to have an opportunity. Like what Donna created 20 years ago, pure unadulterated gift to those people who said yes. And that's a lovely, lovely thing to be able to say you did. And um, so I just really wanted to say to Donna and to Shika that um, there's so many interesting and rich takeaways from our discussion today. Um, uh, And it is, you know, real cheesy to say that, you know, an an individual can make a difference, but it is true. Um, Sometimes they, sometimes they bounce right off the couch like Donna did. And sometimes they need to be invited. And the combination turned out to be um, uh, quite something. So um, Shika, thank you so much. And Donna, um, so grateful for your work. Um, Our families are all, uh, uh, safer and uh, as a result. And um, I can't thank you enough for, for joining us, Shika. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you, Joan, for having us. Yeah, thank uh, you for having us. Well, it's a story to tell. Uh, and um, and I think the last takeaway here, and I want to just bang it really, I want to bang the drum hard because I also came out of the media business as well. Um, if there is a, if, you know, if there's a, there's a takeaway here about volunteers, I want you to really be thinking hard about, and there's also a takeaway about journalists, uh, whatever your, whatever issue you, you cover, uh, that your organization covers, there's probably three or four different beats that a journalist, that journalists in your community newspapers or, uh, you know, social media cover, Make that list, cultivate, steward, offer them an idea of a story, right? So that when you need them, they will be there for you. Um, and um, and don't hesitate. Don't assume they will be interested in you. Um, see if you can give them something they need and then they'll be yours forever. Um, so there's a, b- a bunch of jewels in this. I hope you, um, I f- I hope you found this interesting and inspiring. And... Um, yeah, thanks for being part of the uh, the nonprofit sector and the marathon we are in together. And uh, uh, here's hoping that Donna and Sheikah's story uh, has um, lifted you up and reminded you that the work that you do is remarkable. I'll see you next time. Hey, thanks for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thanks for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.